back, y'all. This is another midweek mini-sode of NBA. I'm your host, Jake Elas, and today I have a special guest. His name is Sean Hyken. He is an NBA reporter. You can find his work on websites like Bleacher Report, uh, which I'm sure many of you have heard of. Sean, welcome to NBA. How you doing, Jay? It's good to be with you. Hey, you too, man. I'm doing very well. Um, I've followed Sean since the Lockdown Bulls days. Um, he's one of the uh, the people that talked about the Bulls and and all of their their majesty over the last two seasons, or uh, or or maybe a little bit less. But I actually covered. I actually covered. I, I mean, I only did the podcast for last season, but I actually covered the Bulls for four years. So, so you've been dealing with it for just as long as the rest of us poor staffs as well. So, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> awesome, man. Well, that's not what we're here today for. Um, today, Sean's here um, as a Portlandier, Portlander. I'm not sure what uh, Oregonian. Let's just go with that. Yeah, let's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, as an Oregonian, somebody who grew up um, watching the Blazers and, re- and has recently been writing about the Portland Trail Blazers. Um, and I wanted to talk to you today, Sean, about this past um, Blazers season. So. Um, First and foremost, we have to address the uh, 400-pound gorilla. 800-pound gorilla? I forget how, how heavy that gorilla is. But the gorilla in the room, um, the Blazers got swept. What happened? Yeah, that was just not – I don't think that was what anybody really expected. Now, I mean, you, you, I, I, I don't think – I thought this series was going to be an easy series for them by any means because, it, I mean, if, you, you, know, you look at – you know, there was obviously that picture that was going around of every single ESPN analyst picking the Blazers to win the series. I thought they would win the series too. I thought it would be competitive. I thought New Orleans would be, you know, in it with them and it would to go six or seven. And even after the Blazers lost uh, the first game, I just kind of thought, okay, you know, the, the, the Blazers will win the next one. They'll split the two in New Orleans. This is going to go six or seven either way. But, uh, yeah, them getting swept, I don't think anybody saw that coming. I don't even think the Pelicans really thought they were going to sweep right. Portland. That was just – that was just yeah, I think that caught everybody off guard, and certainly the Blazers themselves were caught off guard by it. Yeah, I think the only person who really knew that was fourth gear Rondo. Fourth gear Rondo probably saw that uh, and knew that was coming because um, he's preparing for his fifth gear. Um, so – What's funny is, so when you looked, I, I, when we were following the, uh, the playoff seedings leading into the playoffs, and initially they were slated to, I think they were slated to play OKC originally, which I thought initially on paper was a much better matchup and probably a matchup in their favor. Uh, well, it was like, it was like, it was like down to the last, uh, it was, there were like three different scenarios of who they could play. There was like, like, you know, it was either, you know, if San, it was that, that, that San Antonio New Orleans game, the last night of the season, basically if San Antonio had won that game then the Blazers would have played them no matter what, or if, uh, and then if they lost, they were going to play New Orleans once, you know, cause, uh, cause Oklahoma city could, they could have played Oklahoma city if Oklahoma city had lost that night, but Oklahoma city was playing a Memphis team that like barely had any actual NBA players on the floor. So that right. was never really in play. And I think there was, some convoluted scenario at some point that they could have, you know, been the three, six matchup with Denver if Denver had gotten in, but then they didn't. So like there was a whole bunch of stuff, but I remember thinking at the time out of all the possible matchups, the one that, you know, if I were the Blazers, I would have wanted absolutely no parts of was Utah. And you know, you saw like what they just did against Oklahoma city and how impressive Donovan Mitchell has been. I still feel pretty good about saying that Utah would have been the nightmare scenario in terms of what you'd been looking at pre uh, like before the playoffs, obviously new Orleans ended up being a pretty bad matchup for them too. But like, I would have felt okay about their matchup against OKC. I would have felt okay about it against San Antonio. I certainly would have felt okay about it against if they had gotten Denver or Minnesota, but you know, new Orleans, I just kind of discounted. I was just like, okay, you know, they don't have DeMarcus cousins and you know, maybe the playoff Rondo thing from that I covered with the bulls last year was a fluke. Like I, Anthony <laughs> Davis is awesome, but like, I don't, I don't know. Like, and then they just, the worst possible scenario for how that matchup could have played out 
was how it played out. Uh, yeah. You know, you you know Drew Holiday, who has been really good for a long time, by the way, and I've always been a big Drew Holiday guy, but, like, he's a guy that not, a lot of people kind of don't realize is as good as he is because he was injured a lot before, and, you know, they're just not a team that's on national TV. Uh, but, you know, he, he was great. They Their defense just completely shut down Damon CJ, and, yeah, I mean, it just did not go well for them. And I think it's fair – to look at it, I mean, I'm I'm generally somebody who you you know likes to take the optimistic side of like, oh, the list team had a great season. You know, they all you know they were the three seed. They won you know 50 games. I think it is fair to say that you know the team that was a three seed and should you know it should have been looked at as a favorite. And it's a pretty big disappointment that they didn't get uh, bet do better in that series. Even if they did, even if they had not won it, if they had at least been competitive and had it go to six or seven instead of just completely getting swept. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because like this was one of those series also like the Boston Milwaukee series where it's like you could see the the better team winning this series, but there's also that case to be made of the team that has the best player could also come out uh, victorious. Now in, in Milwaukee's case, they put it, you know, they took it to seven, but you know, ultimately didn't win that series. So when we look at the matchups and we talked about it uh, initially, I mean, Drew Holiday clearly stepped his game up and, and Rondo, I think he had like 53 assists in four games, which is complete <laughs> insanity. Um, who knows how many of those he was fishing for, but nonetheless, um, ultimately, what do you think? Like, what do you think was it that ended up being the last nail in the coffin for the trailblazers? Like what was the end all be all problem? Um, from a matchups perspective was it was it clearly just ad or well that was part of it because they literally just had nobody that could even stay in front of anthony davis now to be fair not very many teams do have somebody that can stay in right. front of anthony davis but that really exposed to me the holes in use of nurkic's game and nurkic is a guy who's really interesting for a, a lot of blazers fans because there are certain matchups and certain moments where he is really effective and especially at the defensive end of the floor but then there are just certain matchups like, you know, you put him in the pick and roll all day. It's just he, he's unplayable when, you, when he's going up against a guy like Anthony Davis. And, you know, if you, if you look at, you know, some of those other, uh, you know, some of the other stretches of the series where, you know, Terry Stotts would put Zach Collins in instead of Nurkic or Ed Davis even. Those guys, I think, were a lot more effective against Davis. And I'm not saying that, you know, starting Zach Collins would have meant the Blazers would have won the series, but I think that would have been a better matchup than Nurkic. So that, so that kind of exposed him a little bit. The other thing is Damon CJ just didn't make shots, which right. – I don't, I, I don't know what you can attribute that to. I think a lot of it, uh, you do have to give credit to New Orleans' defense, you know, with n- not just with Drew Holiday, but with, you know, Etwan Moore and Ian Clark. You know, they're, 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 you know, the other guards on New Orleans that, you know, you can just – those guys are kind of underrated in terms of how they can just shut guys down. And they just kind of – their whole strategy was, you know, we're going to take everything away from Damon CJ and we're going to make Al Farouk Aminu hit a bunch of threes. And, you know, because Al Farouk Aminu was the Blazers' best player in the series, which you can't win a playoff series. As much of like Al Farouk Aminu is a good role player who's useful and he's a rotation player and all that, if he's your best player throughout a playoff series, you're probably not going to win that series. And so you have to give uh, New Orleans' defense a whole lot of credit for taking just everything away from Damon CJ because if you cut that off, then the Blazers don't really have a lot else they can attack you. Yeah, I mean, it was just a substantial difference between, like, production, especially on Dame's side. I mean, I know in that, that last game and the, the, the game of the sweep, uh, so, you know, CJ put it all out all, all out there. But, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, Dame definitely had a repeat, I guess, of, of, of last, um, last, last year's playoffs. But so looking at the offseason, there's a lot to ponder about this team. Um, you know, rumors have gone around about – uh, trading CJ or not picking up uh, Nurkic or firing Terry Stotts or firing Neil O'Shea. So from your perspective, do the Portland Bla- Trailblazers just kind of go into next season with the status quo of, hey, we'll be fun during the, during the regular season, we'll make the playoffs, and we'll just continue to do that? Or do you think that this is the type of offseason that they'll make some real shakeups? And if so, what do you anticipate? 
Well, it's it's hard to really get a read on that without knowing where Paul Allen's head is at because that's ultimately the guy that makes the decisions. After the sweep ended, after after the series ended a couple like a week ago, I went out to exit interviews, and if you listen to Neil Olshay talk, he seems to think you know this team was good and we just ran into a bad matchup. That seemed to be his message. And I would, I, you know, at this point, I, I, he didn't seem to think that he was going to be making any sweeping changes when he said that. Uh, and then you saw Mark Stein. I don't know if you got his, if you got get Mark Stein's uh, email newsletter through the New York times, where he drops a lot of insight on a lot of this kind of stuff. Cause he's as plugged in as anybody in, in terms of the coaching stuff. But he said today that Terry Stotts at this point, the, the team is planning on keeping him and they are probably not going to make a change in the coaching uh, department, which I think is the right move. I don't think really any of the, problems as much as you know I I said earlier you know I think maybe he could have started Zach Collins in one of those games I don't think you can really look at the you know the way this series ended and say this was Terry Stotts's fault or that there was a lot he could have done differently so I think it would have been a mistake if he had been the fall guy from all this but it seems like he's going to stick around at least for now even although you know what what might be kind of interesting on the coaching front though is that you know you're seeing kind of some of his assistants names thrown around like you know David Vanterpool was a guy who's been reported as getting interviews for a couple of these jobs. I think Orlando and Charlotte are a couple that he's interviewing for. Nate Tibbetts has been linked to the Hawks and, you know, a couple of these guys might, you know, get interviews with Phoenix. So he might have to make some changes on his staff because some of his guys are getting picked up by some of these rebuilding teams for head coaching jobs. So that's something to keep an eye on. What is going to be really interesting to look at is if Paul Allen, the owner decides that changes need to be made in the front office, because when I was (laughs) listening to Neil Olshay at exit interviews, he seemed like he was really determined to just defend himself and prove that, you know, this was just a bad matchup that they ran into and they don't need to make big changes, not just to convince fans that Terry Stotts doesn't need to get fired or that CJ doesn't get need to get traded, but almost, it almost read to me like he was stating his case to Paul Allen through the media that he doesn't need to get fired because if you look at this roster, like, Neil Olshay, I think, overall has a pretty good track record when it comes to building this roster. You know, he drafted Dame, he drafted CJ, he... This year, he drafted Zach Collins, which seems like it's going to work out pretty well. I think he's going to be a pretty good player. You know, he signed Al Farouk Aminu for, like, the, for a, an undervalued deal. Same thing with Ed Davis. He's made some really good moves. He did the Nurkic trade, which helped them last year. Right. But then he also, you know, decided that it was a good idea to give Evan Turner $18 million a year. Right. He, decided, he decided to give that contract to Myers Leonard. Like, he's done some things that have hamstrung this roster. And if you want to talk about the Blazers making big changes this summer versus riding it out, there's really not a lot they can do with the roster unless they decide to put CJ McCollum on the table because he's the only guy that they have that you can get, you know, a real return back for from another team in terms of what the interest would be on the trade market because they have so much money tied up with guys like Evan Turner and Myers Leonard who are average to below average role players. Nobody's taking one of those contracts unless you attach a draft pick to them and the Blazers aren't really in a position right now where they can be attaching draft picks to anything because that's how you get cost-controlled talent. So, they're in kind of a tough spot. And so Neil Olshay's kind of two options if he sticks around as GM. And I have no idea what, uh, th- what's going to happen there because that's, off, that's up to Paul Allen. And Paul Allen doesn't really talk to media that much. So I have really no idea what his mindset is as far as that. But if Neil does stick around, his two options are to either trade CJ and you know, try to get either you know, a, young, a couple of younger pieces in a draft pick and kind of go younger and rebuild around Dame that way like on the fly. Or to just say, well, you know, we had a pretty good season. We ran into a bad matchup in New Orleans. Let's just run this back next year. I don't, I don't know how successful that's going to be if they do that. Ultimately, I mean, so ultimately you think they just kind of stay pat and, and just kind of keep going with um, status quo? They don't really have a lot of options. because, I mean, like I said, they're going to have no cap space because they have all these contracts on their books. 
Neil was pretty adamant uh, at exit interviews that they're not going to trade Dame or CJ. And I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't expect them to ever entertain the idea of trading Dame just because of what he means to the fan base and what he means to the community and all of this. But, you know, if I were the GM, if I were in their shoes, I would at least call around and see what CJ's value is. I wouldn't be, you know, set on trading him, but I would say, you know, if you could get like, like, let's say, you know, Cleveland wants to, you know, put that, that Nets pick and like Kevin Love on the table. I'm not saying I would do that, but it's like, is that something you look at? Uh, you know, you have to at least see what's out there. Neil seems at least publicly like he's just completely dead set against breaking up that backcourt duo in any way. And if he doesn't do that, then they just don't really have any options because no one's taking Evan Turner's contract. No one's taking Myers Leonard's contract. Uh, you know, then they're going to have to pay Nurkic potentially. They're going to have to pay Ed Davis if they want to keep him around. You know, a guy like Pat Connaughton, who they, you know, was a second round pick of theirs and they, you know, they, they like what he's done this year. He's going to be a restricted free agent. They're going to have to re-sign him. And then you're kind of going up against luxury tax territory. And this is just kind of the roster they're locked into. Yeah. So now on the Nurkic topic, one of the suggestions now, correct me if I'm wrong, but he is up free agency, right? He, or he's he has rest- a team option, doesn't he? No, he's restricted. Okay. Got it. So I guess from that perspective, I mean, could you foresee a situation where they just kind of let him walk? If maybe just the price on just slot in. I think if the price tag gets high enough, they would certainly look into letting him walk and not, not retaining him. Uh, But the problem is for a guy like Nurkic, I don't know what his market is going to be because, you know, pretty much no teams have cap space. This is like the opposite of the 2016 summer where uh, the cap went up to like $20 million. Everybody had all this room and they were throwing around all this money at, you know, guys like Evan Turner and Jan Mahimi and uh, Joakim Noah and, uh, Chandler Parsons and whoever else like that. That's just not the, the landscape this summer. Most teams are going to be over the cap and the teams that are, that, that are going to have cap space are really not the teams that are going to be interested in a guy like Nurkic for the kind of price that would make the Blazers not match. So I think they, what's most likely going to happen is that instead of having to pay him a lot of money to stay, they're probably going to keep, you know, probably be able to keep him at eight, 10, $12 million a year or something like that. And I think he's going to end up staying, but it's not going to be for as much money as he's hoping to get. And then, you know, we'll see how happy he is in Portland on a contract that was maybe not as big as the huge payday that he was hoping to get, or if he's somehow not making as much money as Myers Leonard made, because that was, that's certainly a possibility that that's how this could shake out is that, Myers Leonard isn't playing and he is and Leonard is making more money just because of the year they happen to be free agents so it's going to be interesting to look at but I think that what Zach Collins was able to do at the end of the season when he started playing more and also in the playoffs where he actually looked pretty good and he looked like he belonged on the floor if it gets to the point where they decide that they aren't going to keep Nurkic having Collins there especially if they decide to re-sign Ed Davis would make me feel better about that sure interesting um Let's see here. So I guess ultimately, if you look at the if you look at the breakout of next season and kind of where the teams are slotted, do you anticipate that with this roster, if we go in as is next year, that that this is still a playoff team in the West? I think so. I I, I think this team is good. I mean, it, 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 so much is just going to depend on what other teams do in the play. You have to remember, Denver didn't have Paul Millsap for a lot right. of the year. You know, you have to wonder maybe they're. Uh, record would have been different uh you know what what is new orleans going to do with demarcus cousins and what's he going to look like when he's healthy you know is you know is what's lebron going to do does lebron go to houston you know does lebron go to the lakers potentially does that make them a playoff team like what like there's there's just there's so much that we don't know right now because we don't know how free agency shakes out but at the very least and you know it's also with oklahoma city like does paul george leave and if paul george leaves then 
are the Thunder with Westbrook and whoever else is on the team a playoff team like they were a couple of years ago? Like, there's just there's just so much up in the air right now. I don't know, but I do think that the Blazers at the very least will be in the mix. They're not going to, you know, run this team back and then suddenly become you know a 35 win team. They're still going to be in that mid 40s range in terms of wins because that's how good Dame and CJ are. And then if they just put you know, if they can bring back some of these complimentary players, uh, I think they can get back there. But it's, it's, it's certainly not – like, outside of Golden State and Houston, really none of those playoff teams are guaranteed by any means. Right. So, a couple quick-fire questions on superlatives. Um, okay. Who, Sean, is your MVP this season? For the Blazers? Oh, just in general. I guess MVP-wise. <laughs> just in general. Oh, like, oh, for the actual award? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you have to give it to James Harden. I think yeah. people are kind of overthinking it by – trying to make an argument for somebody else besides James. I mean, obviously LeBron is incredible and LeBron is the best player in the league and he played all 82 games, but I think just what Harden was like you, like you, I'm not a guy who just automatically says, Oh, well the guy who is the best player on the team with the most wins gets MVP, but you do have to take team success into account. And I think Harden was putting up numbers. The Rockets had the best record in the league. And he also just adapted pretty seamlessly to having Chris Paul there with him, another guy who needs to have the ball in his hands a lot. And really, it didn't A, it didn't hurt his production, and B, he was able to adapt his role so that Paul would be able to fit in and also be productive, and it wasn't a chemistry issue. I think really Harden, like to, to me, Harden is going to get it, and it's not going to be very close. Where do you have Anthony Davis on that list? Two or three. Yeah, I think like it's, I like it's a it's a toss up between him and LeBron for two and three. You could talk me into it either way, but Anthony Davis has I don't know if this is a hot take or not. Maybe it's LeBron just because LeBron has been so good. Anthony Davis has been the best player in the playoffs so far to me. Uh yeah, I think I'd have to agree with that. I, I think I'd have to agree. Just like consistently speaking across the board. Yeah, like you said, outside both of LeBron, ends, both ends of the floor. Like right. he's just been. He's just, I mean, the impact that he had defensively in the Portland series, but honestly, all season, you know, I, I, everybody, including me, I kind of thought that the Pelicans were dead in the water after the DeMarcus Cousins injury. Right. And Davis was, and then Davis just took it to another level and he was so good. And then he's been so good in the playoffs. Like I, and I, I know that the playoffs doesn't actually enter into the awards because it's a regular season award and it's voted on before the playoffs start. But like, yeah, I think Anthony Davis is way up there. I probably, I would, I would, if it weren't for the year that Harden had and the year that the Rockets had, I would seriously look at maybe even giving it to davis it'd be hard not to also for a uh, playoff mvp let's not uh let's not roll out my boy scary terry uh he's having a <laughs> yeah, how about how about that yeah that's that was that's been something hasn't it like he's, he's playing himself into a nice contract in about a year or two. oh he's gonna he's gonna get paid yeah. he's also gonna make himself even more untouchable if like Kawhi leonard or anthony davis or something right. on the table you're gonna hear all the leaks about how danny ainge balked it including terry rosier and <laughs> those trades like that's you can just see it see it going to that. No doubt. Already. No doubt. Uh, NBA Rookie of the Year. I think it's Simmons. It's hard to pass that up. I That's mean, the- but wh- here's the question that I always ask everybody. It's like, why, why can't we not do what they did with Jason Kidd and Grant Hill and just do a co-Rookie of the Year? Why is that so blasphemous? Because that's not fun. Like, not, I don't think I don't think every like you can say Ben Simmons is rookie of the year, and also Donovan Mitchell had an awesome year and is probably going to be an All Star ten times in his career, and is going to be great. And also Jason Tatum, had, like, like I I don't feel I I feel like we really need to get past the award, like the idea that like oh if if somebody doesn't win the award, you know they're slighted or they you know they the sure. people aren't giving them their respect. So many people are talking like. This whole week, like after the Oklahoma City series, like all anybody's been talking about this whole week is how awesome Donovan Mitchell is. Like he gets his respect. I just think Ben Simmons has been a little bit better. Yeah, and arguably a top fifteen player in the league right now. Right, uh, I think so. And I also, I also just want to say, like the 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 oh, he's technically not a rookie. Like whatever. <laughs> like come on, like no yeah. nobody has. 
like that's never been <clears throat> something that people have cared about in the past. Like if they want to actually change the rule and say, you know, only actual, you know, people who this is their first year on an NBA roster are eligible for the rookie. If they want to actually change that rule and make it so that Ben Simmons isn't eligible, fine. But like the year that Blake Griffin won it, he had missed his whole rookie year with the knee surgery. Right. And then he won it. Nobody really cared that he had won it. But like, I think this year it's become a debate because there's somebody who has a legit case like Donovan Mitchell. Whereas like back, you know, like, like let's say John Wall had had an awesome year, the year that Blake Griffin won rookie of the year. Maybe there would have been a little bit more of an argument about, Oh, could Blake Griffin win it because he's a rookie last year. The reason that nobody wanted it, that people didn't want Embiid to win it was because he only played 31 games. Nobody was saying, Oh, Embiid shouldn't win rookie of the year because he, (laughs) because he had been on the roster for two years. The, The reason that they held against him was that he only played 31 games. And so it ended up going to Malcolm Brogdon, but no, like I, I, I think it's Simmons. Yeah, no question. Um, any picks for coach of the year? That is the hardest one in the league because there's like 10 guys. Yeah. <laughs> like I think, I think I would probably like, I would lean towards giving it to, uh, and see, that's the thing. Like I, I say who I would lean towards giving it to, but like, I think the top three in some order is probably Quinn Snyder, Dwayne Casey, and brad stevens but then you look at like okay you know nate mcmillan like nobody thought the right, were gonna exactly. be this good. like nate mcmillan has to be in there terry stotts i think has a case uh uh who, who uh, honestly we, we we just talked about the pelicans and how good the say, alvin gentry. Alvin, like, yeah alvin gentry like after the demarcus cousins injury alvin gentry you know and, and alvin's also a guy who over the last couple of years as the pelicans have underachieved or he's kind of constantly been in that oh you know is he on the hot seat are they gonna right. like you know are they gonna make a change there i think and now you know you saw the report after the first round that the Pelicans ownership decided they were going to pick up his option for next season. So he's kind of coached himself into having a job for a while. Another guy that I think should get a lot of credit is uh, Brett Brown in Philadelphia. Now that, you know, we're past the process and I'm just, I'm just happy for him because he had to go through all those years of the team that they gave him was blatantly trying to lose on purpose because he wasn't going out there saying, okay, we need to lose those games on purpose because no coach or player is going out there saying, okay, we need to lose games on purpose. The roster that they gave him, that was an organizational decision to do that. And so for the rest of his career, he's going to have that on his record. Like his one, his win-loss record as a head coach is going to be skewed one way because of all those years where the organization was trying to do a thing that makes him look bad. That's not his fault. So I'm just so happy that he is getting to stick around and be a part of their success now that they're past the tanking part of their whole plan. So that's another guy I would kind of look at. And then uh, – I'm trying to think if we're missing anybody else. There are a lot of guys. Uh, I mean, let's not forget Pop. Like, let's not forget Pop. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, San Antonio was, you know, they they made the playoffs with all the Kawhi stuff, and like the, the Kawhi stuff is just so, uh, it's just it's just so uh, like I don't know. Uh, it's, yeah, it's that's it's the wild. weirdest thing. Did you did you read the uh, the Ramona Shelburne uh, Michael Wright story today? Because that was, that was yeah. real fascinating. I yeah, I was listening to her on the low post and just kind yeah, of yeah, I listened to that today too. Um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. It, I'm, I'm interviewing from somebody from the Spurs later this week. So I'm, I'm interested to hear their take on this, but, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't think he leaves. I, I just have, I have this like weird, it reminds me a lot of the Derek Rose situation where nobody's talking about like, Hey, maybe you guys said I was healthy and then I came back and I didn't feel good. And I'm just, I don't trust your judgment and I'm going to trust my own team because I'm going to come back when I'm ready. Like nobody, nobody's telling well, that. 
Well, I don't think anybody's saying that like Kawhi is healthy and he should be playing. I think the disagreement is just over how they're handling the injury with the Bulls. And, you know, I was there during that whole thing. Like, right. they were basically leaking, hey, you know, he is cleared to play. It's up to him. Whenever he plays, he's, he's cleared to play. Medically, he's, he's good to go. And they were kind of doing that to make it look like it was just him being soft or whatever right. when he didn't uh, – decide to play this is like they both agree it from from everything you know from what Ramona was saying on the podcast with Lowe and with uh and from the actual article like nobody thinks oh Kawhi is definitely ready to play and he's choosing to sit out they both agree that he is injured and he's not ready to play but they're just like have a disagreement about what the injury is and honestly here's the thing and I don't want to go too far into a Kawhi tangent but my takeaway from reading that story was some of the details of the of his injury and you know kind of the pain he's dealing with I would be kind of reluctant to give him a long-term max extension based on some of the details of that injury. Like what's he going to be over the next five years? Is there a guarantee that this is all going to be in the past and he's going to be healthy or like, like that's something, that's something I would be concerned about. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, Last question. Um, Your prediction on who makes the finals and ultimately who is crowned champion this year? I really think Houston has a good shot at winning the title. They've been, I, I, my only thing with them is in like that first round with Minnesota, they were just so inefficient outside of James Harden. Like they just didn't against a team that is as depleted as, as Minnesota. Like they didn't, they didn't show me anything in that first series, I guess. Now, granted they shit all over Utah the other day. So that was good. Yeah. I mean, I think they kind of got their, their bad shooting out of their system in that Minnesota series. They look pretty dominant uh, yeah. against the jazz. I think they're going to be fine, but you know, th- th- this, this Rockets team, like overall, it's kind of reminded me of uh, the first Warriors team, not the 73 win one, but the one that won the championship. The right. first year, it just seems like this is the year just like that. Everything is coming together for them. I really, I really like uh, their chances. Now, as far as who comes out of the East, I kind of think Philly is is right there doing it, but then you know they they have to get past if they if, if Philly can get past Boston, I think they will be fine because I just I just think the Cavs are just out of gas. They're like, a mess. I, I don't know what's like the fact the fact that Indiana took them to seven and now they're going to have to play. Uh, you know now they're going to have to play the Raptors, and as much as people don't trust the Raptors, you know I think this is the best Raptors team ever, right? Like in franchise history, and then like you know the the Sixers clearly aren't afraid of of, of LeBron or of the Cavs. They've you know they've beaten them in the regular season before, which I realize doesn't mean much, but like they clearly have the attitude that they can beat anybody. Uh, I don't know, like this. I have a hard time seeing, and now of course what's probably going to happen is Golden State is just going to walk to the finals again. Right. I mean, they've played basically their first uh, their first what seven games without Steph. He's coming back. Right, and he's he's playing tonight, so that's that's going to be interesting. But I kind of I I think this is the year Houston can actually do it. I hope so. I, I think it would be fun. You need some star power in the finals, or else it's a boring finals. I'm I'm totally I'm totally comfortable with a Houston Philly finals. Um, I just want something different from either comp because like like we know exactly how Cavs Warriors is going to go. Like we don't, right. I don't, I don't need to see that for the fourth year in a row. And I realize the Cavs team is a little different with no Kyrie and with all these new guys, but we don't need Cavs Warriors for the fourth year in a row. Like if if if, if, if just I just want something different. Yeah, no, I can't agree more. I think uh, a little variety is uh, in a, in a diet and in a NBA Finals is uh, is just good practice. Uh, cool, Sean. Well, anything that uh, you're working on right now that you'd like to tell the people about? If not, uh, where can they find you online? 
Uh, I've just, I've got a few things I'm kind of working on right now that are uh, at varying degrees of being far along. So, you know, we'll, I'll just, I'll keep you guys updated as far as that <laughs> stuff, but uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Hiken, H-I-G-H-K-I-N. If, you know, anytime I post something, I'll put it up there. And, uh, you know, other than that, you know, I'll just be around. I'm going to be in Chicago in a couple weeks for the lottery and the combine. And this, you know, that, that'll be good, I think. But uh, other than that, uh, you know, we'll, you know, I, I'm just, I'm around, you know, I'm on Twitter. I'm, I'm doing stuff. Right on, man. Sean, well, I can't thank you enough for being on NBA today to talk about the Blazers. Um, everyone, don't forget to uh, rate and review the podcast on iTunes or whatever your podcast player is. Uh, feel free to give us a five-star rating. Uh, five stars if you feel so implored to do so. Only uh, five stars, though. Don't go on and leave, and leave a review if you're not going to go five stars. <laughs> at least, at least, I mean, I'll take a four. Just don't give me a one. If you really feel that way, you can email me at thegaynetwork at gmail.com. Um, all right. Well, for Sean, for Jay, this has been NBA Route.